This morning our reading comes from 1 Corinthians, verses 50 to 58. It is to be found in our Bibles on page 1117. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. May the Lord bless this reading from his holy word and to his name be the glory and praise. Amen. Thank you, uh, Judy, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's uh, come to God in prayer and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for your precious people gathered in this place. Lord, we are a needy people. We need your grace. We need your strength. We are mindful that our lives are in your hands. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the preciousness of your word that speaks to our hearts, Lord. And we pray this morning that you would encourage us as we look at your word, that you will strengthen us, Lord, and that together we will rejoice in the hope of the glory that we have in Christ. I pray, Father, that you forgive me for my sins and that you would use me for your glory and praise to share your word with your precious people here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, what a great week the past week has been for our nation here in Australia. We had uh, the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge here. Did you watch uh, with excitement the crowds that gathered to greet them? Uh, what a popular couple. And did you see the little baby George? He was in another world in a sense, wasn't he? He was oblivious to everything that was going on around him, the future king. And the crowds that came around to greet uh, with this wonderful couple, uh, Kate and William, and the way that they were able to speak with people and the ordinary people felt that they had come into contact with royalty uh, and what an experience that was for those who were able to meet them. And then this Friday, we also had Anzac Day. And some people said to me, what a great country we live in. We had the Easter long weekend, Good Friday, Easter Monday, Anzac Day, the shortest week ever to work. What a life. Life is good in Australia. Right? Barbecues, everything else. But aside of that, nearly 70,000 people that gathered 
the shrine of remembrance last Friday. What an amazing crowd. And next year, it'll be 100 years when uh, we will remember uh, those who have sacrificed their lives. So big events in our nation. Big events that causes us to rejoice, but also causes us to reflect upon those who have given their lives. And certainly, of course, to rejoice the fact that we had royalty in our country, except for the fact that they did not visit this great state of Victoria and the most livable city in the world, Melbourne. Now, how could they have missed Melbourne? Anyway, we won't go into that. Friends, you know, and, uh, and there are great events. There are significant events in the life of this world. And one of the greatest events was the coming of Jesus. Another great event of the life of Jesus was his death. But a more glorious event than that was his wonderful resurrection from the grave. And people were able to meet Jesus. They were able to have conversations with him. And with the resurrection, uh, the Bible tells us that he appeared to many and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And what a moment that could have been for the disciples. Just imagine that. Imagine if you were one of the disciples. Uh, you were there when Jesus was crucified. You saw him hanging on the cross. You saw him buried. You were scattered because you did not know what the future would be for you. And then later on you meet the Savior. What a moment that would have been. What a moment it must have been for them. What a moment it would be for us if that, were, if that was the case. Well, this morning I want to continue on the theme of the resurrection. And so the title of the message this morning is Jesus is alive, therefore. Well, we're going to fill in those blanks, alright? And the text is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I'm going to unpack this passage as we look at this text this morning. So, how should we live our lives in the light of the physical resurrection of Jesus. On Easter Sunday, last week, I spoke on the topic, does the resurrection of Jesus matter to us? Does it matter to you? Does it matter to the world that we live in? Does it matter to the average person on the street, the person who is driving past this church many times? Does it really matter? Well, today the question is, Jesus is alive, therefore... What should I do with my life? How should I live my life in the light of that resurrection? Does it really matter how I live my life? Does it really matter for us as a church community how we live our lives? And if the resurrection of Jesus really matters to us, then there are, are there any practical implications to our daily living? Are there? Yes or no? You're going to respond, right? Yes or no? Yes. There are practical implications of what has happened with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we know, between the resurrection and the ascension, which is 40 days, Jesus was around for all of these 40 days. And it is kind of easy to forget this fact. We read in Acts chapter 1 these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave 
many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here was Jesus. Died, was crucified, was buried. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to the disciples and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, giving them many convincing proofs and he spoke to them. So Jesus taught to them, uh, taught about the kingdom of God. He, he, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The disciples knew that Jesus died and they had now seen the risen Jesus. He spoke to them. Just think about that. The, the Bible just tells that, doesn't it? Luke just puts that in. He spoke to them. I mean, they were had conversations. We don't know what he spoke about, but primarily it was about the kingdom of God. But I'm sure he would have spoken about lots of things with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. See, Luke is very keen to establish this historical fact that Christianity is based on fact and truth. And this is embodied in the very person of Jesus. And therefore, friends, we can trust what Jesus says because all the prophecies about him came to fulfillment and some are yet to be fulfilled, namely his second coming. So we can trust him. And the very last verse in the book of Acts tells us that the Apostle Paul, three decades later, continued to proclaim the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 28-31. Because this is the kingdom that has a king. A king that is everlasting. A king that is the ruler of the entire universe. The king to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king and lord. And further, friends, this is a significant assurance to the church and to his people of what we call the presence of Christ with us. What a tremendous joy, what a tremendous comfort it is to know the presence of Christ in our lives. And that's what we see here in the text as well, in, in, in Acts chapter 1. And I'll come back to 1 Corinthians 15. So the book of Acts opens and closes with the kingdom of God. In fact, as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul said for two old years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He proclaimed it with boldness because... He had seen the risen Jesus Christ. So friends, this morning, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a wonderful Christological thesis. I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians 15. It is a kind of hard passage to work out, navigate your way through it. But it is a significant chapter in the Bible. Especially on the topic of the resurrection. And so Paul gives us a Christological thesis on the topic, on the subject of the bodily resurrection of Jesus and its implications both in this life and in eternity. Now the context here would tell us that it seems that there was a dispute between, about the physical resurrection of Jesus, 
Some people denied that Jesus had written, risen from the grave. And Paul argues that the resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel. And Paul argued for the resurrection of the dead. That is, one day there will be a general resurrection and the dead will be raised. Every cemetery that you pass by and you see those graves... They will all be opened up one day. I don't know how God's going to do it. But the bodies are going to rise from everywhere. Whether it's in the sea, wherever it might be, there's going to be this general resurrection. It's a mystery to us. But this is what we have in the scriptures. And so Paul says this. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes... What have I gained if the dead are not raised? 1 Corinthians 15.32 So he argues the point. If the dead are not going to be raised, what's the point of my ministry? Let us eat and drink. Complain. For tomorrow, we die. Let us eat and drink and be merry. Look at the book of Ecclesiastes. For tomorrow, we die. See, this is the point, isn't it? This is the point. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Because there is nothing really to look forward to in life. Now, I must say, friends, this is a very attractive proposition. Why not? Why should we eat, drink, and be merry as if there is no tomorrow? It's a very attractive proposition, is it not? If you're only living for this world, sounds a very attractive thing. Eat, Drink, I mean, eat all your foods. I mean, think, think of the food that's available in, 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 in Melbourne. Right? You go and look at all the cafes. The Malaysian food, Indonesian, Chinese, uh, dumplings, um, curries, uh, what, pies, Australian pies, put that in there. Uh, chips. Yeah, such, you can eat, you can drink. There's so much to drink. Eat, drink, and now, now, there's nothing wrong with food. I enjoy my food. There's nothing wrong with it, right? Nothing wrong with enjoying your life. But this is a very attractive proposition. I would suggest to you that the philosophy of the world of most people would be to eat, drink, be merry, and live your life like that. Right? It is a seemingly carefree, attractive life. Wouldn't you like that? It's a seemingly carefree, attractive life. It is a lifestyle. As I reflected upon this, I thought about it for a moment. It is a lifestyle that is kind of free of any strings attached to it. That is, life is only to eat, drink and be merry. But this is not really the case, is it? If only this was true. If only this was really a lasting truth. But life is not like this. Right? Life is not like that. In this world, there is a mixture of both happiness and sadness. There is sickness. There are disappointments. There are hurts. There are broken relationships. There is ultimately death itself. And so... To people who say, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, I believe that they are living in some kind of euphoric utopia. 
They are living in an unreal world. Don't you think so? They are living not in the real world. Because in the real world, there will be difficulties. In the real world, there will be disappointments. In the real world, there will be sadness. In the real world, there will be tragedies. In the real world, there will be hurts. There will be accidents. People will die. There will be sorrow. There is. There are wars. And so even if you think for a moment, well, I'm going to live in this kind of euphoric utopia of eat and drink for tomorrow I die, you are not living in the real world. Now friends, let's face it. Generally speaking, most people tend to keep away from the topics of sickness and death in particular. It's not a topic that you would talk about, for example, when you invite your friends for a barbecue. Well, friends, come and join me for a barbecue, and in the middle of the barbecue, so, what do you think about death? Imagine that. The, the, the mood just changes, right? Has to be. As people look at you and think, strange. We are talking about death, man? I'm here living. I'm living here for now. I'm living for, to eat that food on the barbecue. I see those prawns on the barbecue. What is talking to me about death? She didn't want to talk about death, would you? And we, we kind, of like, kind of avoid the topic altogether because we want an kind of escape clause from death. But we cannot escape it. Most people, and even Christians, friends, can live in a state of semi-denial about death. We can hesitate to say that a loved one or relative or friend died. We prefer to say that he or she passed away. Right? Or went to be with the Lord. All true. All true. But we kind of avoid the phrase, he died. Or she died. Because it's kind of hard. We prefer to say that he or she passed away. There are others who say that the dead person has gone to a better place. But when someone has died, he or she has ceased to exist in this world and he or she has died. There is a finality. And Paul here argues that death itself is not the end. The Christian gospel counteracts this topic, this subject, this very issue of death itself. And that's what Paul is arguing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what we see here in 1 Corinthians 15 is the argument, is the thesis, the Christological thesis that Paul makes is that there is an individual who cut through the barriers of death itself. And therefore, in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe we have the gospel here in 1 Corinthians 15. There is good news that's coming out of 1 Corinthians 15. Good news that injects, I trust, perspective, meaning and purpose for your life and for mine. It certainly does for me. It gives me a dose of reality. It's just like when you go to your doctor. I go to my doctor regularly. He knows I'm a pastor. He's not a Christian as yet. I talk to him. He's a Chinese guy. Uh, he tests my pressure. I always say, doctor, test my pressure. Test the pressure, blood test. I've got to work on some things, you know. It's normal, right? 
<laughs> I want to keep healthy. And when your doctor says, you know, you need to take this medication or that thing, you get a reality dose of what is going on in your physical body. Because on the outside, you might seem quite healthy, but on the inside, you don't know how your arteries are, how they are blocked, whether there's cholesterol, whether this is all growing in. And man, oh man, I know we have some cardiologists here this morning. You laugh, you're smiling there with me. Right? You know what it means. So we get a dose of reality, don't we? And similarly, friends, in life, we need to have a dose of reality as to where we stand with this good news of this chapter here in 1 Corinthians 15. Good news that reaches beyond this earthly life. Now consider the good news that we have here in 1 Corinthians 15. It is proclaiming, friends, if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians 15. It is proclaiming a living message to a dying world. It is proclaiming a gospel message of good news, of hope, to a hopeless world. It is proclaiming a good news message to those who fear the very thing of death itself. And it's proclaiming a powerful message of a living Savior who has actually conquered death itself. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, we no longer have to live in ignorance about life and life after death. And this is because an individual, as Paul says, came to this world, died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, a person called Jesus Christ. Now, it's a thing, it's, it's, it's something that every individual has to come to terms with. What do you do with the claims of Jesus Christ? What do you do with the claims of Jesus in your life? See, do you actually accept what is said here? Do you see what is done for you? Do you see the implications of that for your life? And do you see eternity beyond the grave in your life in Jesus? You see, it, it, it is kind of countercultural, isn't it? The world would say, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die... Jesus says, come to me and live, and you will live forever. So we have this contrast in views as well that comes through. And so Paul says then, no wonder Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised to the, on the third day, according to the scriptures. And all this happened according to the scriptures. We, 39 books of the Old Testament. And Paul goes on to explain that the bodily resurrection of believers is a great hope for all who put their trust in the risen Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.13 explains that if there is no resurrection, even Jesus has not been raised. And if Jesus has not been raised, we have been misrepresenting God. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 15. And ultimately, friends, if Jesus has not been raised, there is neither resurrection or judgment. But this is not the case. We can be confident that Jesus is alive because he showed himself to many post-resurrection appearances. The well-known theologian and Bible scholar Herman Riederboss said this. He's a wonderful scholar, actually, a New Testament scholar. Christ has robbed death of its power. Given his own victory over death, 
his resurrection and that of his people form an unbreakable unity. Did you see that? His resurrection and that of his people form an unbreakable unity. It's a connection. It is unbreakable. And I will explain to you that in a moment. You see, Jesus' resurrection proves his claim that judgment day is indeed coming. Therefore, our life has purpose and everyone, famous or not, will one day receive mercy or justice. Is that clear? And how do we live our lives in the light of this resurrection? Do we just eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die? How should we live? And Paul gives a summation of this. He gives a thesis, a thesis and then he gives a summation in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58. He says, therefore, do something. Do you see that? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand That word stand firm means to be steadfast. It means to be steady. And why would he say to this church to be steady? He wants them to be secure in the knowledge that Jesus has risen from the dead. Stand firm on this fact. And the context, friends, expands and it explains the benefits of this resurrection. Let me point out for a moment what we see here as well. It's a very important aspect. People have asked me, what happens when we die? You see, in what is often called the intermediate state, that is the period between death and the resurrection, the believer's body, that is the Christian's body, will remain subject to corruption and decay, while his or her spirit will be in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, and you can refer also to the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32. It is the intermediate because it stands between our present state and our final state. It is the state of the bodiless souls that precedes our final state of resurrection when our souls will be reunited to our glorified bodies. Let me, I'll explain that in a moment. Being in the presence of the Lord guarantees us that this period will be one of rest and happiness. At death, the Christian is removed from this present world and is ushered into the presence of the Lord until the day of resurrection. Okay? Though this state will be one of conscious bliss and happiness, it is nevertheless a state of incompletion in that the spirit is deprived of bodily existence. Now, unlike the disembodied existence, which is what we call the intermediate state, in the resurrection, the believer will be reunited to his or her former body that will undergo a radical transformation from its perishable state to that which is imperishable. And Paul makes that point here in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, 54. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. You can read the text there. How will this come about? I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery, right? I don't know. But God is going to do it. Notice also that it will be an instantaneous 
metamorphosis. 1 Corinthians 15. In a flash, in the twinkling. Just twinkle your eyes for a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. What's going to happen? Let's read the text together. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be the same, we will be changed. (laughs) Wow. The Lord Jesus taught that there will be a resurrection when Jesus returned, both of the just and the unjust, the one to life, the other to judgment. And the Christian believer in Christ receive a glorious new body which will be no longer subject to decay and corruption, no longer subject to visits to the doctor, no longer subject to any medical ailments that you may have. No more arthritis, no more back pains. Do you suffer back pains? No more nothing. God will give you a new glorious body. That's what the text says. Amazing, isn't it? And Paul has sought to make the point. You see, Philippians tells this. The Lord Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. How he's going to do it? Only God knows. And Paul has sought to make this point to the Corinthians and also for us. In the resurrected body, the Christian will experience life in the new heavens and the new earth. A place that is free of sin, pain, sorrow, sadness, hurts, disappointments, grief, everything else. And death and tears. There are, these are the amazing truths of the gospel. This is the good news that is coming out in 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's seen, dear friends. It is joy. It is rejoicing news. Is it not? It is a news that calls us to celebrate what Christ has done for you and for me and for all God's people throughout the ages past and the years to come. And those of us who have loved ones, who have died in the Lord, we will also see them. And what a joy that will be. I know some of our congregation members here, and those of you who are here, we have experienced death. We've experienced our loved ones past, have died. And we know that they've died in the Lord. One day, we'll be seeing them. Death is only a temporary separation because of the resurrection. What a thing. And so Paul says, be steadfast, stand firm on what Christ has done for you and will do for you. Stand firm on the truth of the resurrection because Jesus has done it all for you. And, this, and he will bring all things to consummation one day. Let nothing move you. And so Paul goes on and he says in the text, let nothing move you. Be immovable. Don't be distracted. Be resolute. Don't get knocked over by sudden blows. John Piper put it this way. Keep your balance. Keep your balance. Stand strong and unshaken when the rains come down and the floods come up and the winds blow. We heard the winds this morning with the children, right? We have tried to blow. The winds blow. 
and, a, and, and, and beat against your house, be like a boulder that can't get washed away. Be like a tree that can't get blown down. Be rooted in this truth. Be rooted in the resurrected Jesus. Friends, as we go through life, you will go through disappointment. There will be times when the winds will hit you. Bang! The waves will come over us, right? You've experienced that? There will be times when you will be hit from all sides. Have you experienced days like that? Moments like that? You come back to this foundational, great, living Savior. And you cling to Him by hope, with confidence, knowing, Lord, I don't understand what is happening to me. I don't understand what is happening in this world. It doesn't make sense to me. But I am putting my hope and my confidence in this living Savior. I will not be moved. On this fact. So let's keep going. Paul says, abound in the work of the Lord. Because your work in the Lord is not in vain. He urges them to commit themselves to Christ by working hard for him. They are not to be a lazy church that sits around and expects things to happen. We are to be an active, uh, working, hard-working church because it proceeds from the gospel of Christ. You want to work, you want to serve him in response to, to everything that he has done for you. And the church is the body of Christ, you see. Our work has meaning when we understand the gospel. Our work points to the one in whose image we are made. C.S. Lewis once said, we have never met an ordinary person. (laughs) That is, we never do an ordinary job. Work is not menial. It is not trivial. It is not pointless. It is not absurd. It is not meaningless. Our work or service has meaning when we understand what God has called us to do. Do you see that in your life? Now the Lord's work. You know, I was talking to a pastor this last week, and I'm going to wind the sermon down soon. Shouldn't be actually. And I told you I stayed in a service where sermon was one hour, ten minutes. I won't do that this morning. I was speaking to a pastor last week, and he said to me, Chris, I'm counseling a person who came to see me and said, I am very busy in the Lord's work. And this, this pastor friend was asking me, how do we respond to this? I'm very busy with the Lord's work, but this person has neglected his family, has neglected his wife, and neglected his home, but is all committed to the Lord's work. And I said to brother, I said, brother, how are you going to handle this thing? What are you going to say to him? Are you going to say to him, withdraw a little bit from the Lord's work and... And see your family as part of the Lord's work? We had this massive discussion. What is the Lord's work, friends? I'll tell you this. If you're a husband, your Lord's work is to be a faithful husband to your wife, right? If you're a father, that's your Lord's work for you. To be a great father. If you're a mother, that is your work for you. And I think about single mums... I think about mums who've got to run around with their babies in their prams. And you, you see them, don't you see them in shopping centers and all? I think, oh, they're, they're carrying their baby and she's baby's crying and she's got to pay the bills. and oh, It's all happening, but the mother is always there. If you're a Christian mother, you're bringing up your child in the, in the Lord. Is that not the Lord's work for you? It is. 
So abound in the Lord's work is all comprehensive. Yes, it is for the church. Paul doesn't expand on us what this work is. But the Lord's work, if you're a student, your Lord's work for you is, what is it? To study well. (laughs) That's God's work for you. You see, the Lord's work is all comprehensive. I can't say to me, for myself, well, Chris, the moment you mount this pulpit, that is the Lord's work. And when I go home, hey, get my kids to come and serve me, my wife to come and serve me, and say, I've done the Lord's work, now it's your turn. That won't happen. <laughs> you see what I mean? You see, this, this is danger, the over-spiritualization, the super-spiritual. Our Lord's work is... It's called us to do. But for a church, the Lord's work is more than that as well. To be committed, to grow. To stand firm in this truth, friends. We may, in summarizing then, what a blessing it is to know this Savior. What a blessing it is to be able to have the joy of that salvation. What a hope that is ours in Christ. What a glorious message in the midst of death that is life. What a glorious hope to look forward to. The resurrection is tied to this person, Jesus. This is the motivation to keep us going. This is the joy that is set before us. This is the great hope that we have now and for the future. And in our lives today, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning, friends, we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes? We want to see the power of the risen Christ in our lives. I think sometimes we do not let the risen Christ with all his power work through our lives. We are so scared that the Holy Spirit will come and do something. We have gone perhaps to the other extreme. But we have the power of the living Christ in you. In the Spirit. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Live by the power of the Spirit. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the thing. Who supplies all my needs. You know, this is our God. This is our Savior. When you're weak, you are strong. Because Christ is in us. What a joy. I want to close with Robert Murray McShane, the great Scottish pastor and preacher. Also, he wrote a few hymns, I believe. He said this, When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unseen heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. How much I owe. May God fill our hearts with the power of Christ this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this glorious treasure that is ours in Christ. I pray this morning, Lord, that you fill our hearts afresh with the joy of our Savior, Jesus. That we have a glorious message of life, of hope, of confidence, of a Savior who stands with us moment by moment. A Savior who loves us. A Savior whose presence is with us as we go through life with all its challenges. Lord, help us to trust you. We bring our lives before you. We bring our loved ones before you. We bring our families before you, Lord. 
I bring our church before you and the world before you this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's